0: This is the Bayma Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we will read through the prophecy of Haggai and find that the real issues rarely change, past, present, or future. Yep. We're wrapping up
1: the uh, last section of the prophets and coming down the home stretch of Bema Podcast Session 2. Got a handful more. Uh, we've been in the remnant section for some time of our prophet diagram. And uh, we've looked at, uh, which prophets have we looked at in the remnant already,
0: Brent? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> we did things out of order, and I was like, wait a minute, we started the remnant, right? We did 4th Isaiah. We did 4th Isaiah, that's a remnant. We did Ezra Nehemiah. We've done Ezra Nehemiah. Is that it so that's far? That's it. Okay. So far, so good. I'm not as mixed up as I thought.
1: Nope, you're not. Tracking right along with us. So yeah, we've uh, we've walked through the first um, few uh, and really Ezra and Nehemiah we, we treat it as, and, and Jewish perspective sees it as one real volume. So we've walked through the first couple uh, remnant voices. And so we're going to walk through Haggai. Um, and still, Haggai shows up in the same period of time as the people of God struggle uh, to rebuild under the pressures of what we talked about. You know, Persia letting them go back home and, and trying to rebuild in the midst of that. It's
0: not easy. Does this book have a particular setting within the country of Israel.
1: Oh, like geographically. Yeah. Well, it's definitely centered in Jerusalem,
0: uh, because
1: the critique is going to be about needing to build the Lord's house in reference to the temple. So we're definitely going to see it not as the remnant left behind in Persia, but this is definitely the remnant that has returned back home under Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah and those voices we looked at in the last, last podcast. Um, so Zerubbabel in particular, he was one we didn't talk about a whole lot. We just focused on Ezra and Nehemiah, but Zerubbabel uh, gets some help in this time period, uh, from a couple prophetic friends, uh, Haggai and our next discussion will be on Zachariah. Uh, Haggai's ministry appears to kick things off and last for a short period of time. Uh, this entire prophecy of this book, a couple chapters, it's not long, but the size of a good long blog post. Uh, but, uh, this, this prophecy seems to last it spans a period of about nine months if the dates if we've pieced the dates together correctly uh, so it's a short it's a short time period that Haggai covers uh, but the prophecy of Haggai is uh, very brief uh, easy to read. I would recommend anybody that's listening to the podcast when we're done or pause it before we keep going whatever it is that we need to do uh, but read it's an easy read
0: so, Go ahead and read the book of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Yozedek, the high priest. Is that how you say that? Yeah, sure. Sure. Good enough for me. Good enough for our listeners. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? All right. So so
1: Haggai, um, the message of this short little prophet seems to be pretty straightforward. Um, basically, it's time to get off your butts and build God's house. Like you're sitting around doing nothing. and It's time to get God's house built. But not only nothing, they're building their
0: own fancy houses.
1: Exactly. So if this seems a little bit like counter, like, wait a minute, I thought when we were talking in session two about Solomon and David and building a house, I thought God didn't want a house. So now God all of a sudden has worked up about his house. Like, why does God want a house now when he didn't want a house earlier? Well, it's a really good question. And hold on to that tension because I think it's a part of it. But you've pointed out the real crux of this issue. It's really not about God's house at all. It's about the hearts of the people. And before, it was maybe a similar yet different situation. If you remember David, David had just built what, Brent? Uh, His own house. His own amazing palace. And we suggested that maybe, we don't know, the text doesn't tell us, but you can look at the context of the text and say, golly, maybe, maybe David is a little... I don't know if guilty is the right word. Maybe he's a little bothered. Maybe his conscience is kind of bugging him about this house that he just built while God sits in a tent. So he had his own house, and his motivation seems to have been prompted by, it's not right, he had said, for me to live in this great house if God's living in a tent, so let me build God a house. In this case, we don't even get, like, the people don't even seem to be motivated. They have built their own paneled homes, as you have pointed out. Uh, what verse was that, Brent, that you read that? Verse 4. Verse 4. They They've built there, is it, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Like apparently, they're fine building their own houses, but they haven't done anything for the Lord's house. And God says there's something wrong in our hearts here. And if we're trying to rebuild a culture at home, if we're trying to rebuild some kind of new day, uh, this probably isn't going to be a healthy posture to have, and
0: so... Haggai uh, confronts that go ahead and keep keep going now. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. you have planted much, but harvested little. you eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. There's going to be a little rhythm here that Haggai is going to build right here up front.
1: And he's he's basically saying, he's asking him to consider, consider, Haggai basically says, think about your experience. Just consider how well Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? <laughs> uh, consider how well this, you're living in these panel homes. You've come back home. You've rebuilt your comfortable life. You're not really giving too much of a second thought to god and his house and how is that working out for you it's not working out well i mean you're you're drinking but it doesn't quench your thirst you're eating but you're never full you put on clothes but you're not warm like this this isn't really working out for you you're not finding the fulfillment that we've really learned to come to expect from god's people engaged in god's
0: mission he's gonna he's gonna go on to say some more go ahead brent this is what the lord almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So God kind of calls back in a sense to
1: maybe Deuteronomy, we might say, about closing up the sky if they don't follow and worship and love God with all their heart and soul. If you remember that discussion from Deuteronomy in session one, Uh, God's and again, he starts off this, give, give careful thought to your ways. Consider how well this has worked for you up to this point. This isn't really working out for you. The reason it's not working out for you, God says, is all that stuff comes from me. I, I decide when you need it. I decide when I give it to you. I decide when all this stuff. And through this prophetic voice of Haggai, Haggai says, maybe when we pursue our own selfish ambitions and our own personal agendas and our own comfort and luxury, it doesn't fill us up. And maybe if we were to pursue God's agenda and God's story, we'd find it so much more fulfilling. Not so much in the literal formulaic, if we do this, then God will make it rain. If we do this, then God will give us all the desires of our heart. But more along the lines of, if we were to do these things, I wonder if we would find the fulfillment in eating our food
0: in drinking our wine in engaging in our labor and our jobs. Go ahead and keep moving. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Yozadok, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord.
1: All right, so there's some good news, like uh, they're they're coming along, Uh, Haggai's doing his work, Zerubbabel's doing his work, and the people are growing. Over this nine-month period, somewhere in the middle of this, the people are moving. There's positive movement.
0: Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Yozadok, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Yeah, so they get to work.
1: It takes them a little while, but sure enough, their spirit gets stirred. It is possible to light a fire under people and get people moving, and uh, the work of the leadership pays off.
0: All right. Yeah, so from the beginning of a guy's message, it was like three and a half weeks. Right. So that's, yep. you know.
1: Good month of pep talks here. Yeah. Yeah. Got some town hall meetings, some church membership meetings. I don't know. Potlucks, something. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: yeah, it's potlucks, but they weren't full. Yeah, so that's right. Yep. Give careful thought to your ways. This potluck isn't filling you up. Not really. In the second year of King Darius on the 21st day of the seventh month. So we're about a a month out from where we were just a moment ago. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Uzadok, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Okay, so so
1: God comes in and miss point. So takes about a month to get people going. Takes about a month to get people fired up, and then about a month into the job, God comes and he's like, "How does this this project is kind of weighing on you? Because those of you that were here that can remember, that can think back and remember the glory of the old house. How, now we don't know from history." We have to take biblical history and piece it together. We don't know exactly what Solomon's temple was like, but Solomon's temple must have been a thing. Like if we give any credence at all to the biblical narrative, Solomon's temple was, in comparison to pagan nations, maybe not like as huge and glorious as we might imagine, but it was a pretty big deal. I mean, we talked about Queen Sheba coming and making some pretty grand statements about, wow, like your God is really something when Solomon gave her, gave her a tour. But this second temple, the rebuilding of Solomon's temple is probably done from biblical and extra biblical history. What we know is probably re it's kind of, they kind of remodeled this second temple a handful of times, at least two or three times. Some people argue maybe even a fourth or fifth time. And until you get to Herod the great in the days of Jesus, this second temple just kind of limps along as a, as a, a weak, uh, tepid memory of what solomon's temple was and so god says how does this how does this feel to you guys
0: what what does this look like to you as you build it go ahead and keep going but now be strong zerubbabel declares the lord be strong joshua son of yezadak the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the lord and work for i am with you declares the lord almighty This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I love the echoes of Joshua there. The guy's name
1: is Joshua, and God says, be strong. There's no courageous here, but you can hear that. Hazak. Like, be strengthened, be strong. I know the house doesn't doesn't seem like the first house. I know that this second temple can't touch the glory of Solomon's first temple, but you need to keep working. Because I'm with you, and this is going to work out. So stay with it. Keep up the good work, because it's going to pay off.
0: This is what the Lord Almighty says In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, so God, God says, I'm going to,
1: sh- a common phrase in the prophets, I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to shake them out like a rug, or I'm going to shake them like a, uh, like a carpet. Like I'm, it's a prophetic metaphor for, it's a figure of speech for God's going to do something. Like God's going to shake things up. God is going to move, and he says, I promise you this, the glory of this second house is going to be greater than the glory of the first house. But that must mean that the glory has nothing to do with what, Brent? It doesn't have anything to do with the money. It has nothing to do with the money. It has nothing to do with the quality of building. It has nothing to do with... We're not talking about the glory of the the stones and the masonry and the brickwork. We're not talking about the glory of the physical house. God says, you need to keep working because I'm going to move. And when I move the glory of this house, and I would think of when I hear glory, I'm going to think of the presence of the Lord. Like what God is going to do through this house is going to be even greater than the glory that filled Solomon's glorious temple. So this must not be about bricks and mortar and building projects. This must be about something
0: bigger and better. So in this last paragraph that we just went over. Yeah. It, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, blah, 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 says the Lord, blah, 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 declares the Lord, blah, 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 says the Lord. Is that the same kind of thing where there's like some kind of a gap between there? Yeah. It seems like it's constructed a little bit differently than that, but...
1: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if the same, uh, I don't know if I have the expertise to comment on that one. I'm not sure if it has the same... Um, if the rules of the Hebrew here apply in the same way as it does with like, say, historical narrative, And I don't know if the prophetic genre changes in that regard. It's a good question. I noticed that as you were reading it, the repetition of that, and I'm not sure if it was, if there's any pausing, if there's any separate conversations, if there's any similarities to what we saw in like, say, Genesis when we
0: saw that. Good question. I don't know. Okay, reading on verse 10 of chapter 2, on the 24th day of the ninth month, so now a couple couple months beyond where we were before. Yep. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you.
1: So, uh, there's this whole section here about cleanliness. A little confusing, but... Again we hear this struggle so you're right a couple months later we're struggling again what I love about Haggai is I really see something that I can relate to as a as a church leader or even as a as a church participant walking in obedience month after month after month is difficult and life has these seasons that you go through it appears that what the message here in Haggai is at this point is listen it you you weren't doing anything, whether they were lazy or whatnot. But we we got a fire lit underneath us. Then we got started, and then it was hard because we realized it wasn't going to be everything we hoped it would be. But then we kept going, and God promised us it would be something. But now a couple months later, we've kind of lost. We've kind of we're kind of drifting into. Um, maybe they're having some obedience issues. Maybe they're having some idolatry issues. We're not given the details. but there's something here that that prompts Haggai to say, let me ask you this, if something is, if there's something that's holy and consecrated, like a priest's garment and something that something else touches it, meat or some other kind of item, does a consecrated priestly garment somehow make that item consecrated? And the answer is no. If you pay attention to the book of Leviticus, you don't make something consecrated by touching it with something else that consecrated. it. You don't pass on consecration that way. However, if something defiled, unclean, impure, touches something clean, does it make it unclean? And, of course, the answer from Leviticus is what, Brent? Yes. Yeah, it's so much easier to pass on impurity than purity. And so you have to be very careful. And again, Haggai uses that same phrase, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Think back to how this is working out for you. When you walk a path that is less than obedient, less than pure, less than clean, it has a tendency to impact everything else. You have to work so much harder to be on the straight and narrow. I think of Jesus's teaching on the narrow way. It takes so much more intention to be a part of the consecrated thing than it does to be a part of the unclean thing, because uncleanliness is passed on so much easier, and I'm not talking about literal uncleanliness, but as a metaphor, uncleanliness, leaven, sin, disobedience, impurity is passed on so much easier than consecration and purity is, so you have to work that much harder through these struggles and and persevere through the the work that we're called to do, in
0: this case, the building of the temple. But there's a message here for us to hear as well. Go ahead and finish this out. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Yeah, so God essentially says, I'm going to move, and this is
1: going somewhere. All of this work is going to lead. It is going to bear fruit. It is going to do something, because I'm going to take these leaders. I'm going to take Zerubbabel, and I'm going to use them. He's going to be my signet ring. He's going to carry my authority. We're going to do something in the world. This is all headed somewhere positive and redemptive. And that's the prophecy of Haggai. I have some closing thoughts here. Um, the message of Haggai is yet another prophet that continues to speak to us today. In 2018, he speaks about priorities and whether or not we be, uh, whether or not we happen to be more concerned with our own agendas or with God's. He speaks to us about what truly matters. Is it the opulence of our church buildings? Is it the impressive nature of our Bible knowledge? Is it the academic credentials that we place behind our names? God is still able to dwell in even the humblest of temples. In fact, he seems to prefer it. And I love that swing back and connection to David, where God says, I don't need, I love my tent. I love my tent. And here, when we started, we kind of started this podcast was, wait, is this running counter to what we found in David? And in fact, it's not at all. Because as these people go to build God's house, it's a fraction of the glory of what David and Solomon put together. Uh, And yet God says, oh, I'm going to do greater things with this pathetic rebuilt temple. I'm going to do greater things with that humble temple, that humble project than I ever did with the glory of what Solomon built. Um, So there's an encouragement there. There's encouragement that we don't have to have all our ducks in a row. There's an encouragement that sometimes the things that we're doing don't match up to our hopes and our dreams or our past or any of that. But if we'll keep, if we'll walk the path, well, uh, God's going to work through those things and dwell
0: in those humble temples. Sounds good. There you go. All right. Well, um, we would just encourage you to go to com. you'll find everything you need to know about the show if you happen to have landed on this episode and this is the first one you've listened to that seems crazy but welcome um, get in touch with us though there's a contact page on the website we'd love to hear from you a lot of listeners seem to use that
1: yeah um, we we recently bit, so. went
0: international brent we did uh, yeah <laughs> that was that was a crazy email yeah we have a uh, we have an international listener that we know of at least in canada yeah that was probably a bad joke but, yeah, they're in Canada, Alberta. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm always watching for the A's when I go to Canada. But Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to get up there and spend some time in Canada. Now I have an
1: excuse. Yeah. Go see some Bayma listeners. Yeah.
0: Love it. Sounds great. We're breaking the domestic boundaries. I love it. Well, thanks for joining us on the BayMA podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.